Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters this morning. Our guest today is General Mick McGuire. I want to thank you for your service, sir. Thank you. I want to thank Debbie, your wife, for her service. Yes, she's an <laughs> angel. It's it's not easy being married to the military. You never know what's going to happen. We have a whole list of questions here, so I want to get right to it if you you're okay with that. Let's get to it. Okay. General, you were the commander of the 162nd Fighter Wing, and in that capacity, you were very instrumental in securing our southern border. Despite numerous agencies and organizations writing letters discouraging the appointment of the current commissioner of the U.S. Customs Border Protection, this administration appointed him anyway. It seems that this administration, nor their appointee, can see the border crisis for what it is. Having been on the front lines, if you're elected, what influence and insight will you bring to the table? Well, the influence and insight I'm going to bring to the table is, as you mentioned, I was commanding General of the Guard for eight years after I was at the 162nd. So between those two periods of performance, almost 20 years, uh, four different times we deployed guardsmen to the border. Uh, I am going to immediately demand that they rescind the policy that my work has put in place that said Customs, Border Patrol, Immigration Services, and ICE, all posted and sworn law enforcement officials, are prohibited from requesting mutual aid. As you know, Sherry, that is the number one thing that all law enforcement entities and first response elements use. In 1944, Franklin Delano Roosevelt enacted Title 42 and gave the power to the CDC. Should the CDC at the end put an end to the current 42 engagement, is there another rule or law that would allow the closing of the border so authorities can catch up with the migrants who are already here? There is a huge backlog as more judges are needed to hear their cases, and a lot of these people arrive indigent, relying on charities who are financially strained and overburdened government programs for assistance. Wouldn't it make more sense to close the border, get the migrants already here processed, and devise a workable system and a more manageable intake number instead of just adding chaos to the crisis. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, The thing we have to do is make sure we reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. The reason the Remain in Mexico policy is so effective is it forces Mexico to take on the burden of people that are piling up at the border, and it will help us mitigate those that are coming through. Now, the biggest abuse that I've seen that's changed in this administration is we have an asylum law that allows people to claim asylum. Uh, in 2014, I know you remember the undocumented alien children crisis. We had a big effect here in Tucson and in Pima County and down in Nogales. Uh, and that thing, 15% of the people apprehended would claim asylum. Since uh, Biden has taken office, up to 85% of the people 
are claiming asylum. And because the asylum laws are different, uh, they're given the ability to be released within 72 hours. That's what this pull factor is. It's just making it completely lawless there. So they're coming in. They're housed for a period of time, given a notice to appear and released if there's no criminal background. I understand when it's seeking asylum, people are required to apply to the country next to the country they are leaving. Why are migrants not required to show evidence of applying for asylum and being denied per same in each of the countries they pass through before applying in America? Shouldn't this proof of denial and why they were denied be the first requirement in the immigration process? Absolutely. But the reason it's happening is the cartels have started a human trafficking group that is global now, bringing people in from all over the world. I know you've been to the border. I was down with Sheriff Mark Daniels. I've been out with Leon Wilmot out in uh, Yuma. And the thing you'll find along the border is the one thing every one of these people that's crossing illegally is told to do is to dump all their documents so that there's no proof. So you will find mountains and mountains of paper just on the other side of the border, just adjacent to the wall. So it does. there's no way you can trace where they've been. So you have people in the cartels that understand our laws, coach these people about what to do, and they claim asylum immediately, and now we're and that's, that's how we end up with the situation we're in. The, the asylum law is being absolutely abused. Do you think people forget that asylum is a discretionary benefit offered by the U.S. government? They don't have to be given asylum? Yeah, absolutely. They do not have to. And the problem that we have is when Biden zeroed out the funding for 1,030 of our guardsmen that were in support of the law enforcement entities on the border on January 21st, 2021, and he said he was going to shut down the construction stop pulling the power and activating the camera systems down along the border and told the law enforcement entities they can't request mutual aid. I was actually the first one, Sherry, that said President Biden is derelict in his duty because as a military guy, that would be like me deploying a unit and not providing him any operations, logistics, air or communication support, which is essentially what's been to our great law enforcement entities and they're being overwhelmed. The allotted federal border funds... A majority of funds go to Maricopa County when a majority of the problem is on the border. It would seem that a better use of border funds would actually be on the border securing our safety. If elected, will you ensure that the majority of these funds be redirected to the southern border? Absolutely. I've said the one thing we can do when we win back control of the U.S. Senate is to get the $6 billion that needs to be directed here to complete all of the wall and the surveillance systems associated with it shore up our ports of entry, reactivate the OH-58 helicopters that were shuttered by Obama in 2014, activate and finish all the surveillance systems, and most importantly, reactivate the 1,030 guardsmen, give opportunities for our Border Patrol to more expeditely hire. Uh, I've talked to them at length. They're good friends of mine. Their biggest problem right now with hiring is we have a lot of great young men and women that want to get in law enforcement, but they're worried about people walking away from qualified immunity by the civilian elected leaders and the background checks they've made it nearly impossible in the federal system for Customs and Border Patrol to quickly assess new officers. Okay, Cochise County Sheriff spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on prosecuting illegals because the feds aren't doing it. He also has one of the oldest jails in the state. It's going on 40 years. If you're elected, will you address these issues and obtain the resources needed to help prosecute the illegals and build a new jail facility in Cochise County? 
You bet. Well, the jail facility would come through grant funding, and uh, obviously we would be looking at money that would be delivered through the federal budget back to the state to be appropriated for those kind of things. Relative to the federal judges, that absolutely is a federal responsibility, and what we need to do is make sure that Sheriff Daniels and every other sheriff that is taking on a duty that should otherwise be taken on by the federal government is relieved of that responsibility and we get people there to provide him support starts with the direct support of the agents that are there reinstituting the mutual aid from the federal side i know mark daniels and the local sheriffs down there are doing a great job working around that but he needs help and he's being overwhelmed and relative to the judges we have got to get judges prioritized to adjudicate cases because we can't continue to give people notices to appear and they less than a i think it's less than a 15 percent return rate on those notices to appear Do you think this administration is saying there is no crisis on the border because they are not incurring the cost of prosecuting these illegals, but rather pushing that cost onto the county borders? No, I think this administration is saying there's no crisis on the border because they want to begin a process by which we selectively apply the rule of law. And you know, as someone that understands the rule of law as well as anybody, That if you begin to pick and choose what laws you follow, it's not a matter of if but when this republic comes apart at the seams. Add to it the vilification of our Border Patrol agents. I think about that really, really unconscionable treatment of the gentleman in the the, um, Rio Grande sector where he was literally trying to attempt to get people out of the river on horseback was alleged to have been whipping people. And then we had one of my brothers-in-arms, a Texas guardsman, drown in that same section of river, and the White House didn't say a word. Our law enforcement feels betrayed by our civilian elected leaders right now. Yeah, they are being betrayed. And by the news media as well, they sensationalize things that shouldn't be sensationalized. At some point, I'm sure this is going to come up again, Tucson is a sanctuary city. What say you? I believe that sanctuary cities and sanctuary counties that are not compliant with law need to have suspended federal funding immediately. That to the only way we're going to change their action is I don't, I'm a strict 10th Amendment guy, it's states' rights issue, but the federal government's greatest power into the states right now is the power of the purse, and we need to restrict funding. So if Pima County refuses to be compliant with federal law, we'll direct that money to Cochise County, to Yuma County, to Pinal County, where they are willing to enforce federal law, and that will force the citizens of these communities to call on their duly elected local leaders to act in accordance with the rule of law. Okay, in 1789, the right to bear arms was enacted when assault rifles were not available. Considering since 1789, science has proven that the male brain is not fully developed until about the age of 25, with most most guys. (laughs) Unless someone is professionally trained like military or law enforcement, would it make sense to raise the age and require classes for each particular weapon and more extensive background checks before that sale can be finalized, giving several people, not just the dealer, the opportunity to observe and sign off on that person's knowledge, capability, and apparent state of mind? What I think is going to help most most is uh, improved awareness of mental health and add to it Uh, The idea that right now, the one thing that this nation needs the most is an understanding that 
our constitutional rights are under assault. I was the commanding general of the well-regulated militia. As the commanding general of that well-regulated militia, in accordance with Article or, uh, the Second Amendment, that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, your right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I have said time and again that law-abiding citizens and additional laws are not going to change the outcome. What we have to do is get after the mental health issues, understand why we have a community now that has so dehumanized the people around us, and also very, very critical, as you mentioned, emphasizing responsible weapon safety. This is an, you're looking at an individual that had access to 8,300 soldiers as the commanding general. Every single one of them was responsibly armed. And my best example of how I dealt with things is in 2015, there was a shooting in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where there were uh, service members shot at a National Guard reserve post and a, a recruiting center. I said, it's ridiculous that the members of the profession of arms cannot be armed on duty. So I allowed them to exercise their constitutional rights, but you know what else I required them to do? To have a background check, compliant with safety, and then they were armed on duty, concealed, and could protect themselves. When you say compliance with safety, does that mean training? That does mean training. Okay. Okay, so that is your vision for keeping weapons in the right hands is training and... Training and and strict uh, adherence to mental health and more reporting on that. Uh, More laws about restricting access is not going to stop people that have uh, malevolent intent from obtaining a weapon. True that. Okay. Military put their people through extensive psych evaluations before they're allowed in any proximity of a nuclear weapon. Do you think an elected president should go through the same process? I would like that to be the case, but there's no constitutional process for it to happen. As a strict constitutionalist, we elect by of and through the people. I had access to nuclear weapons, so I'm familiar with that process. When thank I was you for not engine. using them. Yeah, thank you for not <laughs> using them. Trust me, none of us would ever want to get to that most uh, tragic uh, and uh, destructive outcome. Um, but no, I, I, I would hope that uh, the vetting process of an electoral race and as you mentioned, having a media that hopefully would honestly and objectively evaluate activity would certainly help that. Unfortunately, I do believe that the media, um, the academic establishment, and the political establishment have kind of formed this cabal that has replaced the defense industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about in 1961. Mm-hmm. Okay, you took the oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Where were you and what went through your mind on January 6th? On January 6th, I was at um, my office at the state headquarters here in Phoenix. Uh, I think I was in a meeting. uh, I came out of a meeting. I got a text message. I went on TV, and uh, my thought was... um, this is not how we transition control of the government. The imagery uh, was not good. That said, everyone has the right to peaceful assembly. I remember during the riots in 2020, I was asked a question about um, the uh, uh, 
mobilization of the Guard, we put 1,495 of them on duty in support of 12 law enforcement entities and five county sheriffs. Cochise County was one of them. Uh, Maricopa County was another. And I said, every single one of you has a First Amendment right to peacefully assemble, but that does not mean that you can abridge the rights of other citizens deface property, burn property, assault individuals. So as you know in the law, you have the right to do certain things, but those rights do not mean you can usurp other individuals' rights in the process. And so uh, I was very unhappy about that. I will, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but to me the thing that upset me the most about that incident was what happened two days later relative to the rule of law on January 8th. And what happened? Two days later, um, after uh, they had re- retained order uh, and they had the Electoral College vote uh, early in the morning on the 7th, I think it was around 2.30 in the morning on the 7th of January, late afternoon on the 8th, I was asked to be part of a phone call with the commanding generals of the 50 states, three territories in the District of Columbia. And on the call, the acting Secretary of Defense, a guy by the name of Chris Miller, asked each of us to mobilize 6% of our force, our National Guard fully armed with live ammunition and full body armor, and send them to Washington, D.C. I asked, had the president invoked the Insurrection Act? The answer was no. I asked, did he designate this group a terrorist organization? The answer again was no. And I said, did he declare an emergency for civil unrest or riot? Now, I know many of your listeners are law enforcement, and I know you understand law enforcement as well as anybody. This country has an over 300-year history of rebuffing the idea that we'll use the military to police our citizens. Think back to Shays' Rebellion or the Boston Massacre. Because the answer to all three of those questions was no... I told the acting secretary that since the president had not invoked these authorities, we cannot use the military to police our citizens. Therefore, I cannot comply with what is an illegal order. I follow legal, moral, ethical orders. Much to my dismay, Sherry, um, my 53 colleagues sent 26,000 fully armed soldiers into D.C., wrapped the Capitol in a seven-mile ring of humans, with live ammunition and three layers of fencing and Constantino wire. And that's completely illegal. When you go forward, I said no. I was the only one of 54 two-star generals to say no. And if the listeners are out there like, well, that you shouldn't do that, I want to remind them that you remember the Lafayette Square incident in June of 2020. We were asked to do the same thing. 12 states participated in June of 2020. I refused to participate in Lafayette Square either. So again, the rule of law is about calling balls and strikes the same every single time. If you don't have the legal authority upon which to use the military, especially to police our citizens, when we know our posted and sworn law enforcement officers are the one trained to enforce laws inside the contiguous United States, turning the military on our people is never going to end well. And anyone that believes an unelected bureaucrat should have that authority or could do that and have the media act like a bunch of clapping seals when it happens is in really, we're in really big trouble if that's the case. Okay, why do you think so many politicians cower in front of Trump? I I think they're afraid of him. You know, the day that I uh, announced I was asked, uh, um, General, I'd never run for office. I said, who's the leader of the Republican Party? 
I had announced like six hours prior I was a reporter up in Phoenix, and I said, well, the Republican Party is a group of constitutional conservatives that believes we're a republic of sovereign states. This constitutional republic has a map with lines between the states, and in 2022, the top of the ballot is going to be Mick McGuire versus Mark Kelly. I am the leader of the Republican Party in the great state of Arizona. And the reporter looked at me and said, you just announced six hours ago. I said, well, I was the commanding general of the largest mobilization of the Guard since 1942. You've seen me standing up here for 50-plus weeks as we've talked about civil unrest, wildland fires, the pandemics, the crisis at the border, always in uniform. Did I ever waver in my position? Reporter said, what do you mean? I said, my only focus is to make sure I deliver food, ice, water, and medical supplies to those at greatest risk. That's it. He said, well, I guess I can't disprove it. He says, well, what do you think Donald Trump is going to say about that? I said, I hope he says, great. It'll save him some trips to (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Liz Cheney, your opinion. Uh, Liz Cheney has been elected duly by the citizens of Wyoming. I don't, I am very unhappy with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for participating in the January 6th committee. And here's why. You hear the left complain all the time about, you know, committees out of cycle here in our state. Uh, Our own state legislators have convened things out of cycle. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has abused her position by the power of the chair by making this committee unselect. What I mean by that is the House has a five-seat majority for the Democrats, yet only two Republicans are on this committee. When the minority leader objected, she moved out anyway and did not allow each side to provide cross-examination, and I am always about the rule of law. So I'm disappointed that she participated in that process. Okay, the Goldwater Rule. Today is a much different environment with massive visibility via television, websites, social media, and Twitter. As an elected official or an accredited psychologist or psychotherapist, if you see behavior that is a danger to our country, do you have a duty to warn? Absolutely. I think that if you are a teacher, a parent, a peer, especially when we talked earlier about... um, uh, school shooting incidents, especially with minors, minor males, ages 16 to 21, um, we do need to make sure that we uh, intervene early. And uh, I do think, especially uh, with social media and the proliferation of that, it's kind of like how we reacted after 9-11. If you see something, say something. People need to speak up, and it needs to be taken seriously. We've had far too many incidents. I'll add on the school shooting thing, I was on the record uh, in a news interview talk about law enforcement. I said, you know, many of our law enforcement officers remember the advent of uh, school resource officers back in the late 80s as kind of part of the war on drugs. And what I would say is we need to take a whole separate look about how we think about campus resource officers. We need to protect our most valuable asset, which is our young children, and take those school resource officers and have them instead looking inward, turn them around and have them look outward. And we need to develop a culture through primacy that at the youngest ages, our young children see law enforcement as their friend, 
as their supporter, as someone that they can count on, as someone that they trust, not someone that's going to get them in trouble for pulling somebody's hair at school, <laughs> but someone that is there looking outward and being a vanguard. Yeah, what happened to Officer Friendly? Yeah. I remember Officer yes, Friendly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, in more recent years, it's been suggested that the Electoral College has been manipulated to sway election results. Has the Electoral College outlived its original usefulness? Absolutely not. I'm a strict constructionist. I'm Antonin Scalia dressed up in a different outfit. Um, <laughs> the, the Electoral College is the only way that we will maintain a constitutional republic. Uh, if you get rid of the Electoral College, you will never see a presidential candidate in the state of Arizona again. Really? Yeah. The popular vote would be biased towards the major metropolitan areas because the only other way to do it is through direct popular vote. And Washington warned us when, you know, a retired two-star general like me, Washington warned his colleagues at the Constitutional Convention. He feared tyranny of the majority more than he feared tyranny of the individual. And he was born 86 years before Karl Marx. Tyranny of there the majority go. is 50 plus one. Right. Roe versus Wade. Yes. Your stance. My stance is that life begins at conception. Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Praise the Lord that it's back now, but it's a state's rights issue. Some of my competitors in the race want to walk away from the 10th Amendment and say that it should not come back to the state. I believe it comes back to the states. How do we deal with it locally? We have a state legislature and a law. They've passed two laws, the most recent one being a 15-week ban. There's a 1912 law on the books. I stand on the idea that our legislature will adjudicate this, but we have to deliver all resources to every young woman that is in this situation, meet them with grace and compassion and never judgment, and never criminalize any of their activities relative to meeting at crisis pregnancy centers and helping out. If a man wants to get a bisectomy, should the government tell him no? No. Do you think it's a violation of the HIPAA law to, do, to deny a female medical care? I think that um, HIPAA is an important protection. Uh, how how it's interpreted relative to this particular issue is most critical to understand that there's a third party involved. So if we believe that life begins at conception the law would dictate representation of that third party. So unlike uh, any other incident where it is uh, only the individual involved, you have now two uh, human lives involved. That's why legally this is a challenging, challenging thing. What should our level of commitment be to Ukraine? Um, I uh, openly supported the uh, first uh round of 13 billion i think it was in direct military aid weapons gunpowder humanitarian aid medical supplies food ice and water uh, i did not support the next round of 40 billion in spending without any accountability and what i mean by that sherry is that as a military guy if we're actually in a situation where in kinetic combat as they are the thing i need the most is body armor weapons rounds sustainment, fuel, medical supplies. Uh, when I heard that, and I'm an F-16 pilot by trade, that one of the things that was being proposed was to spend some of this money to purchase F-16s. It's not a bad thing, but those won't be in the fight and available for two years. Those do, that does nothing 
for the people that are on the ground in Ukraine. So we stand with them, but I, I oppose the idea of pumping billions of dollars there when we could have pumped that same $40 billion into our law enforcement entities and provided the resource that we talked about, which is school security officers that are posted and sworn in every state, do it by block grant, the jail in Cochise County, these kind of things. So I think that's the way that we thread that needle. How do you view NATO today? Uh, NATO still is an important alliance. I still uh, believe that they have to do a better job of providing their fair share. Uh, I was, uh, we had the 162nd fighter wing here. We still do. It's kind of the United Nations of uh, F-16s. I think we have 28 or 29 nations that we've trained through there, many of them from NATO. Uh, I think that uh, NATO, as it presently stands, is an important alliance. We'll continue to say committed to it. But that said, we will never cede our sovereignty to any entity, be it NATO, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, that our constitution that you have a copy of right in front of you prescribes that our duly elected officials in the House and Senate can look in the eye of every American citizen if we are ever going to invest the blood and treasure of our fine citizens in any expeditionary fashion and explain why they're going, what they're going there for, and how they get out. If we can't do those three things, we shouldn't be there. Okay, there's some Americans that have been captured by the Russians. What's going to happen? What do you think? Well, um, I hope that um, we use every available diplomatic tool. And we have, um, you know, 34 years of commissioned officer, four years of cadet at the Air Force Academy. Before that, we talked about access to nuclear weapons. We have uh, certain special capabilities that we may need to use to get them. What about the, um, the athlete? can't think of her name. Off uh, the top of my head. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Brittany Griner. Yeah, there she's been held up in Moscow on a criminal charge. I think uh, in those particular cases where uh, Russia, a sovereign nation, has made a legal claim, uh, I think there was just somebody that was released, a Marine uh, that was released. I hope that we use similar diplomatic pressure uh, to, to try to get them home and extradite it back. The EU... Will membership make a global difference, or is it drawing a line in the sand for non-members? Uh, I think that the uh, the globalization and this idea of walking away from sovereignty in Europe is quickly dissolving. I think that um, our role uh, as a world and global leader is to show that we can hold the greatest constitutional republic together, continue to be a world leader, continue to respect the sovereignty of each of the nations and in nations that have borders that are congruent like uh, many of the western european countries uh we deal bilaterally with each of them as opposed to in treaty and block uh and and we've seen that around the world so it's always important for us to have bilateral agreements as opposed to multilateral agreements especially when it comes to trade and currency do you think the uh, Ukraine joining the EU is going to make a difference for them? Uh, I think right now the Ukraine situation is uh, they are in a uh, response mode more than a recovery mode. So the biggest thing that they need to do is shore up their security. I'm calling on the federal government. Uh, I would like to see leadership here. 
people ask me what separates me from other the other candidates i'm a proven trusted confident leader here's the reason that we are not able to de-escalate the situation the united states is still the world's leader president biden is not showing a level of leadership that either side is taking seriously and his actions are speaking louder than his words and if we want to de-escalate this conflict we need leaders that can do that and uh he just hasn't exhibited that skill, and unfortunately, that's the only thing that's going to quickly help the Ukrainians. All of these other ideas about currency, the EU membership, all things that, as a sovereign nation of Ukraine, they need to deal with, it's not going to do anything for the people without power, without food, and without water right now. They have suggested that Putin is undergoing some type of medical treatments what do you think the future of Putin is? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I can't believe anything from the Russian media, but let's just say uh, I think Putin's future is going to uh, look similar to many other uh, megalomaniacs that uh, become dictatorial and authoritarian. The people are going to lose trust in him and how that ends in Russia uh, it's hard for me to predict. What I will say is that I believe God's divine providence is in play and uh, we'll continue to stand by and watch, but we really need to de-escalate the kinetic situation there because uh, people that are desperate and cornered uh, can escalate the situation. And for me, you mentioned nuclear weapons earlier. I, I do not want to see this thing escalate and if you asked me as a military guy, you know, here in Tucson, we've got Raytheon and the rest. The thing that we lack the most right now as a country is effective strategic missile defense capability. Should one of these countries decide to try to lash out and strike at us? Do you think the war in Ukraine would end if Putin was dead? Um. I think the tenor of the war in the Ukraine would change. I don't think it would end the very next day, but I think uh, it would bring to the table a fresh set of opportunities diplomatically. Do you think they'd even tell us if he died? No. War crimes committed by Russia, some of them are just heinous. What's going to happen? Are they going to have trials? Will the, the right people go to prison or just the grunts? What's going to happen with the war crime situation? Yeah, I was asked on Newsmax, you remember there was a young, uh, I think he was a young enlisted uh, soldier from Russia that was shipped off to The Hague. Uh, I was asked about that. I remember during uh, the conflict in the Balkans when Milosevic ended up over at The Hague. Uh, the bottom line is uh, certainly it's unconscionable for any service member to commit acts of atrocity. Uh but the ultimate arbiter of promulgating those orders are the senior leaders. Those are the ones that need to be brought to justice. Not that the youngsters aren't accountable, but the senior leaders. Do you think they were following orders, or do you think they just took it upon themselves to commit atrocities? I think they're following orders. While everybody is watching Russia, North Korea is shooting off missiles. What is your opinion of North Korea's capabilities? Uh, I believe that North Korea is the largest uh, sovereign prisoner of war camp on the globe. It's been that way for over 70 years. 
Uh, I tell people all the time that uh, the ceasefire that exists between North and South Korea has never ended that conflict. It's just a ceasefire. Uh, this is a country that has wrapped itself in uh, a coating of fencing, walls, and no internet or media penetration has been able to survive for this long. You asked about the missiles. I believe they are developing uh, nuclear capability to be the world's largest sailor, selling those to places like Iran and other folks that have malevolent interests. Otherwise, if you think about it, how do you sustain an economy for 70 years unless you're dealing in illicit and illegal activities around the world? And what can we do about that? Well, what we need to do is be very, very, very cognizant in the intelligence community about what's happening between North Korea and other countries because the uh, advantage that they have is when they keep it inside the wire, it's tough for us to tell, but when they go outside the wire to Iran and other countries, uh, we need to pay close attention to that uh, and ultimately interdict it and and call it out. Um, uh, But if they, God forbid, end up in some kind of a situation on the peninsula, We've had uh, forces there uh, in South Korea since the 50s. Do you think um, Do you think we would be doing that alone, or would we have other countries join us in trying to stop North Korea from doing what they're doing? Um, I think that if we're talking like sanctions or interdiction or cutting them off at further isolation, I think we would find a lot of global partners... I think uh, in the Pacific region right now, with all the problems that we're having with China, if there were problems in Korea kinetically, it would be us and the South Koreans. Charming. Okay. China and Taiwan, should we be concerned? Uh, China is the number one existential threat to the nation, in my opinion. Uh, And here's why I'm most concerned about China. Uh, Right now, Those of us that understand uh, what has happened in past uh, near-peer conflicts understand that it's about sustainment, logistics, resupply, and capability. If you don't have the ability to produce your own personal protective equipment, your own pharmaceuticals, your own gunpowder, your own chips, your own technologies, and your own weapon systems organically, You only got enough stuff on the shelf to fight for about 90 days. The one thing that we have got to do is rotate capacity back to this nation for things that we know we would need should we be in a situation where we're held harmless by a country like China. How do you do it? We can conscript the patriotic capital of Rosie the Riveter. We just have to have some place to send them. Right now we don't have that. How is this uh, playing out now, uh, For us, and you talked about law enforcement uh, on the border. When I was commanding General of the Guard, we had the Counter Narcotics Task Force. We used to get a quarterly report, and they were in support of city, county, state, and federal law enforcement if there was a nexus to narcotics trafficking. First time I saw the word fentanyl on a report was the first quarter of 2016, January to March of 2016. I retired April uh, 2021, almost a year ago. The quarterly report for January to March of 2021, fentanyl was the number one thing by street value 
that our task force was involved in. Think about that. In five years, it went from not being on the charts to number one. 90% of all the precursory chemicals for fentanyl are produced in China. The Mexican cartels are synthesizing this drug and trafficking 90% of the fentanyl you see in the country comes through the Tucson or the Yuma sector up the west coast of Mexico and goes out into the country. We have to sanction China. We have to bring jobs back from China because they are coming after us that way. What about um, the theory of defunding the police? I know a lot of people yeah. feel that they should be defunded, and I'm I'm horrified. I'm horrified as well. Uh, listen, this is the greatest country in the history of the world. What separates us from Mexico is not the border, but the rule of law. Our people are no greater or lesser. We have the same emotional IQ. We have the same basic needs. We have the same emotions of love and fear and hope and joy. But the difference between our country and every other country in the world is the rule of law. But if you do not have people to enforce the rule of law, then what difference does it make? And I can give you this perspective as a military guy and also someone that, like you said, had these unique opportunities of commanding general of the guard to work with law enforcement, folks like Sheriff Daniels and Sheriff Wilmot and Sheriff Lamb and Sheriff Penzone, especially down here in southern Arizona. 2018, you remember the election. It was about abolishing ICE. 2020... It was about defunding police. What's it going to be in 2022? I believe it's this. As a military member, you have seen this idea in the military where the military has changed from an organization about esprit de corps and morale to compulsory obedience. Compulsory obedience is different than earned trust and respect. And what do I mean by that? I discharged zero soldiers in my command for 14 years for not getting a flu shot. Yet the military right now is willing to say that they would walk away from 25,000 of our service members and not adjudicate their concerns over deeply held religious convictions. That's an entire core's worth of service members that we're going to walk away from over an idea of compulsory obedience. And every single citizen should be concerned that the idea of the military now being a compulsory obedient organization and not a critically thinking organization that does what I said before that follows legal, moral, ethical orders, that's chilling. And I think that's kind of where this is going. Let's talk about Mexico for a minute. They have recently banned e-cigarettes. But yet they've got the fentanyl factories going, the meth factories going, the cartels running the country. What can we do to bring the old Mexico back? I remember Mexico when it was a normal country. <laughs> His people were awesome. And, you know, not that they're not awesome now, but oh, yeah, they're the being run by the cartel. Well, I mean, uh, I'm a fourth generation Arizona, and I remember in the mid-70s, going from Tucson down to La Caverna, having dinner, coming back to Zula's and having apple pie, and you could do that in one afternoon. You can't do that today. Um, what should we do? We need to help encourage Mexico 
to uh, regain a footing there. The problem is, as you mentioned, the cartels have completely taken over the border. I tell people border security is human security. Uh, it is completely lawless on the southwest border, and actually the people on the Mexican side of the border are suffering even worse than we are. And you know this, with no one enforcing the law, bad behavior begets more bad behavior, and this has escalated rapidly. How do we fix it? we got to bring Mexico to the table, explain to him how they have to help clean up. I, when I was in the job that I previously served in, I was very proud of Sedena, and and Tamar, the two uh, military organizations down there that still have not been corrupted, that have been great partners with us helping on the Mexico side. Unfortunately, they're federalists. The the, the police forces and the rest have been uh, uh, co-opted by the, the cartels. Yeah, they have. We have a question from a listener. It says, ask him if the Guard has been abusing or misusing Title 32 for the operational support missions that should be Title 10 or state active duty, specifically looking at counter-drug and counter-terrorism, and if he can explain those different statuses. Yeah, you bet. Um, The Guard right now, uh, the question was about Title 32 and abuse of Title 32. Title 32 is an authority that exists where the federal government provides the funding to the state and the soldiers and airmen remain under the command and control of the governor by and through the adjutant general. And because they're in that status has certain carve outs separate from posse comitatus to serve with law enforcement. So that's how we've run the counter narcotics task force. And that's how we've done the border mission separately. Abuse of title 32 would be to take guardsmen outside of their individual state or territory like they did on January 8th, two days after January 6th, and put them into D.C. That is tantamount to an invasion when you take soldiers under the command and control of a governor of a sovereign state and put them in another state, territory, or the District of Columbia. On the Title X side, the question about Title X service is from an expeditionary standpoint, there is no difference between an active Air Force Army member or a reservist or guardsman that's on Title X orders, then they are clearly set aside, cannot be involved in law enforcement as a result of the posse comitatus. And state active duty is a unique capacity that only the Guard has, where the governor of a state can authorize state active duty, and in our particular state, the chief elected law enforcement officials who are the county sheriffs could then deputize members of the Guard on state active duty with certain training and activities to be in support of law enforcement entities that are state, local, or, or county. Okay, if you're elected, are you going to stay in touch with your constituency or are you going to disappear until the next election? I've asked the most, how do we know that we can trust you? I've said, because I'll come back and see you. I'll come back and do your show just like this, and you can ask me all the questions. I think uh, the thing that is lacking the most right now and in this race and in the body politic right now is character and courage. You might not, you're all, your listeners may not agree with me about everything, but I'll have the courage to sit in front of them, respectfully listen, not be disrespectful, listen to their opinion, explain why I have an opinion that I have, and uh, we can have a debate about the ideas and understand that I have a specific duty should I have the privilege to be the next United States Senator from the great state of Arizona to support and 
defend the Constitution. And in that role, I'm no greater or lesser than any of the 7.5 million citizens of the great state of Arizona. I just have a different set of duties, authorities, and responsibilities, but no greater or lesser than any of the rest. I want to remind everyone to do your due diligence before you vote. If you vote a straight ticket, you may be putting someone into office who does not deserve the honor. If you check a candidate's website and all they have on there is a donate button and their social media is a litany of racist and negative comments, that should be a red flag. We need people who can work for us, defend our Constitution, and not abuse the power of the office for their personal agenda. And this applies to everyone from the county recorder to the president of the country. General, what do you want people to know about you? Well, what I'd like them to do is help me. Uh, I am a proven, trusted, confident leader. I believe this race is going to come down to character and courage. You mentioned that my ultimate opponent, Mark Kelly, uh, did a 10-minute spot with you and asked to have the questions ahead of time. I didn't ask for anything ahead of time. I said I would come into the studio and you could ask me anything you'd like. Um, I think that kind of character and courage is what this country needs. Um, If you're interested in helping me out, uh, I'd love for you to go to ipickmick.com. That's ipickmick.com. And uh, sign up to be a volunteer. Donate your time, your treasure, uh, because I do believe this is the greatest country in the history of the world. It's a republic worth saving. Uh, Our law enforcement officers are the most critical component and the first line of action to maintain the rule of law. If we walk away from their qualified immunity, allow people to believe we have normalized an environment where they are not valued and critical in the sustainment of this nation, it's not a matter of if but when this nation falls. We need them as the first line of defense to that constitution more than even our service members. And if we walk away from them now, we're not getting it back. So I need their help. I need everybody in Arizona to go to the polls on August 2nd. Early ballots will arrive July 6th. When you get that ballot, look at the very top line. If you're a registered Republican, you'll receive a ballot. If you're an independent and you haven't asked for a ballot, you can go to the polls and ask for a Republican primary ballot and check the block that says Michael Mick McGuire. And be part of the army of millions of voters that say, I pick Mick. Well, I'm an independent, so I don't I don't vote straight tickets and I try to encourage everybody, do your due diligence, look these people up, find out what they're about. You don't have to agree with everything they're about, but if there's a majority of what you are thinking our future looks like, you know, that's all we can really ask for. What do you want to see Arizona in five years? I want to see Arizona in five years in a place where we have safe and secure communities. We have a culture where we embrace the people that protect our communities. We have a border that has normal transit, trade, and prosperity and ability for people to go back and forth for opportunity but not stay illegally and provide opportunities across the board. On the economic side, we are not prospering right now as a nation. I believe that by the time we get to the November 8th election, the economy is going to overtake every other issue. You cannot be a prosperous nation if every family 
is just making ends meet right now with the cost of fuel, food, pharmaceuticals, and utilities. Those four things are raising so rapidly that if we don't get that under control, that is going to be the only thing. and We can't be prosperous. But how do we get prosperous in five years? We tap into the bountiful natural resources of this nation. It's why we're number one. We're number one in two things. Innovative spirit and critical thought of our great citizens and oil, minerals, fresh water, lumber, ag, fisheries, unrestricted access, deliver the locals, the authority to make the decisions. No one is better to know how to use those resources than the people that make their living and sustain their communities off of them. So we need to change all this and do it quickly because we're falling apart. Yes. We, that, we've got to reverse it immediately. So step one is securing the border. Step two is unleashing the economic engine of this great nation and bringing back the opportunity for jobs. Those two things have to happen in the next five years because if it doesn't, we're going to turn neighbor against neighbor and this thing's coming apart at the seams. We cannot, cannot let that happen. Okay, well, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate thank you. your honesty. It's a great show. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate your candor and letting everybody know where you stand on all the issues. I want to remind everybody that next week we have Mike Vigil coming on. He's going to give us an update on what's going on with the drug situation. And I want everybody to tune in for that. And don't forget to register to vote and have your voice heard it's important i've I've heard people say oh i don't want to do it nobody no go vote go vote you have to and if we don't vote we our voices aren't being heard so thank you john and where are you going next where are you going after this today i'm heading to gilbert i have an event in gilbert uh then heading out to uh sun city and then i will be back in marana tonight and then i finish the evening late in prescott valley a lot of driving today Oh my God! You're yes. going, and then back to Marana. I'm in Tucson in right now, Prescott. and then I'm going to Gilbert, Sun City, back to Marana. <laughs> Do you have an airplane, or how no, are you doing I'm driving. this? <laughs> Fifty-three thousand miles. We collected eleven thousand five hundred eighty-eight signatures. I'm the only Senate candidate that didn't pay for a single signature from a solicitor. We collected eleven thousand five hundred eighty-eight signatures with volunteers and doing events in all fifteen counties. This is the ultimate grassroots campaign. Well, hats off to you. That's awesome. It's it's not easy. Your life hasn't been easy between the military and now a politician. Yeah, this you're is, dedicated uh, to service. I see my wife less now than any time in my life, other than when I've been deployed overseas. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on and tune in next week. We have a great show planned for next week with Mike B. Hill, and he's going to open our eyes to what's going on with the drug situation and the Mexican cartel. <laughs> 